You're listening to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast, forging dangerous men in wild places. Welcome to this episode of the Wilderness Warrior. I am your host, Dan Burkholder. Today, I'm going to be telling you a story. This is a personal story, but there's a goal to it. It's not just sharing this, what I think is a, a was a fun hunt. It's more than that. Really, what I want to share is this idea of forging men, dangerous men, in wild places. I want to drive that home, and one of the most important aspects of being a dangerous man is the nature of risk, of being a risk taker. That is part of why the wild is wild, is because there's risk there. Now, in this hunt, there's no risk. I mean, very little in the Midwest, in the whitetail woods in November. But there is an element of risk in decision-making that I'm going to use to talk about why it is so important as men that we are defined by being risk-takers, by not being risk-averse. Because there is an element in every man that should make people uncomfortable because of the element of danger. And so I'm going to read this this story and I will uh, discuss the nature of risk at the end. It was daylight savings and I was kicking myself for not taking advantage of the extra time I would have had before church for a morning hunt. But I had stayed up far too late the night before. We ordered pizza and my stomach was giving me fits all night. That translates into no morning hunt. Having extra time in the morning to plan, I was assessing my options for an evening hunt. I had one farm where I had passed a gigantic bodied short tine ten point a few weeks earlier sandwiched between a bean field and a cornfield. It would be great with a south wind, but I had just shot a doe there Friday night. I'd better give it a rest. My second option was the property next to the regional airport. I had hunted there the night before and saw three small bucks, a spike, a fork, a six-point, one doe. Every 15 minutes, you could hear, Welcome to the regional airport. Please do not take any packages from strangers, and so on. It was a new hunting experience for me. This spot I had hunted was on a portion that others in the hunting club I was a member of had hunted many times before. The wind was not conducive for any of the stands outside of the one I had hunted the night before, and I wasn't interested in hunting that one again. I was going to hang a stand. In my stomach gymnastics competition the night before, I had watched Jim Shockey's Uncharted hunting show. In it, he had shot a big black bear while hunting an uncharted area of Alaska. He said, find your own uncharted area. You will see things you have never seen before and experience things you have never experienced before. As cheesy as it sounds, it actually piqued my interest. It had the wheels spinning. I pulled up my online maps to find my uncharted area. The entire north side of the farm that I was bow hunting contained expansive bean fields that were recently picked. A few spots looked solid, but one stood out. Two bean fields circled around a tee in a creek. It looked like a spot where deer would feel safe feeding. Soon after church, I rushed lunch and realized how little time I had until prime time. Planning on using a tree stand and a hauler frame pack to backpack into this imagined hot spot, I grabbed a brand new tree stand from the garage. I forgot it needed to be assembled. 
There was no time for that. My other option was to hunt in existing sand or to grab a ground blind. Finding my parking spot, I assembled all my things and began hiking in with a ground blind over my shoulder, casually walking through a picked bean field, hearing the dry cracklings of bean plant stubble and feeling the afternoon autumn sun in my face. Just cresting a small rise in the field, there was movement behind some brush. My heart sprung up like a scared cat into my throat. There, in bow range, was a group of turkeys, all of them Toms and Jakes, and I had a tag. Dropping down behind the brush, I attempted to make my slow stalk to get a shot. Just a moment after I saw them, they saw me. They began to run, making noise like, well, I guess a bunch of scared turkeys. Well, gentlemen, one of the sponsors for this show is Salt and Strings Butchery. In Illinois, one of my all-time favorite sponsors, and there's a reason why, Brian. Some oh, people, right. some people make epic pilgrimages. We made our own. We did. Red-blooded men in search of red meat. Mm. We went to Illinois, Dan, and what did we get? We got a 15-passenger van full of meat. Is what we got. Not just any meat, but custom beef that is delicious. I know because I've eaten copious amounts of it. And when we say van full. It was a van full, full van of meat. So here's the other thing. There was a lot of FOMO from our viewership. But now, Dan, they have a way that they can buy the meat themselves. That's right. So Salt and Strings, fortunately for everybody, which is a Christian company, and we love these people, Quinn and Samantha Bible. Okay, they're launching an online store where you can purchase the same high-quality beef that, I mean, I ate a T-bone steak the other night. It was mm. cut so thick. Unbelievable. It was, oh, yeah, yeah. Amazing. It's been it's been I a mean, meat extravaganza. It, <laughs> it was such a big piece of meat, I only ate a quarter of a steak, just to give you an idea. So they launched this website where you can order farm-to-table beef, and it will be delivered straight to your door. So look at their available bundles at saltandstrings.com. That's saltandstrings.com. Or email info at saltandstrings.com with any questions. You can have the meat sent to you. I've actually tried this out. They sent me meat in a box. It was unbelievable. Had some mm. ribeyes. I know. Beef bundles. I know. Remember, we cooked it all at my house, and we didn't invite Brian. Yeah, they didn't invite me. So I had to drive into to Nebraska in a van to get my own beef. Speaking, but now you don't have to, listener. Speaking of FOMO, sorry, Brian. You don't have to be like Brian. <laughs> Check out the link in our show notes or go to Salt and Strings. Dot com and get your beef bundle today. Now that there was absolutely no reason for me to be sneaky at the moment, I scanned the area that was just revealed by cresting of the hill. Here's the thing. When hunting, maps tell most of the story, but the details change. Sometimes you find that the map tells a story of gentle slopes and passable woods, only to discover on the ground that the gentle slope is a cliff and the passable woods are a massive brambled mess. The other thing a map doesn't tell you is if there's actually deer there. You have to find that out when you get there. This was the case. The original spot I had chosen was okay, but was missing deer sign, which is a vital detail that moves from, from seeing deer into killing deer. I hiked around, making too much noise, spreading my scent around too much, and finally settled on a spot. After much sawing and brush clearing, I had a poorly brushed-in ground blind in the northwest end of an inlet on the edge of a bean field. 
It reminded me of a protective cove or bay when fishing. Surrounded by trees, it felt safe, intimate even. In my experience, ground blinds are great for long sits. They block the wind, contain scent, and allow you to get away with more movement. The real drag is that you are on the ground. You can see very little. Tree stands offer more visibility and shot opportunities and a more controlled engagement. Sitting in a ground blind is a frustrating experience for the first time. You have no idea where the deer will come in, so you constantly peek through the closed windows and around the open ones. I despise limited visibility, but the spot was good, and I was finally hunting. I was not left to my wandering thoughts long before a doe popped out at 10 yards from my blind. Again, my heart jumped into my throat. The doe curiously peeked in through my blind windows, wondering those black holes were a threat or not. She bounded a few yards away, tail high in the sky, just to return to eating some beans. Forty minutes later, five more does joined in the bean field. I was content. The November woods in the Midwest is a special time. The smell, the crispness of the gentle breezes shaking the clinging oak leaves that seemed to hang on until evicted by the new spring tenants. Acorns dropping, squirrels chattering, chasing, and fooling deer hunters by their deer-like bounds. Then there's the November deer hunter's anticipation. It's always there, just below the surface. One goes from tranquility and peace, complete relaxation, when a sudden stomp or crunch or an antler tickle gives you a punch of adrenaline. As was the case tonight, relaxing in the setting autumn sun, watching a group of does feeding, when the loud crashing of a chase echoed against the tall, proud walnuts and oaks of the creek bottoms, followed by a string of desperate buck grunts. Bursting into the bean field was a dark, large buck. I pitched my binoculars to my eyes, adjusting the large buck's rack into focus. I counted. One, two, three, four, five. Wait. One, two, three, four, five. He's a shooter. Not long after, a doe on the 10-yard trail looked into my blind. She did not like it and bolted. The large buck, thinking the chase was on, took off after her. She circled into the woods, and the buck disappeared with her. I thought my hunt was over. Sitting in my blind, dejected, I just clutched my bow, thinking about how thankful I was to have seen such a beautiful display of the quarry I respect and love so much. Or that's what I was trying to tell myself so I didn't start throwing a toddler-level temper tantrum after I finally had a good opportunity. And The remaining does were feeding like they had seen this dance so many times. They didn't have a worry in the world. It was getting dark having the debate whether the ground blind should stay in this spot or not crunch my heart skipped crunch the nose of a deer peeked into view of my blind window at five yards i heard a grunt the deer took one more step it was the doe that ran off i drew my bow as she walked out to 10 yards right behind her was the monarch of the missouri woods he was five yards away and staring right into my eyes. I'm still at full draw looking right back at him. He turned and started to bound high and lofty bounds. I grunted and grunted and grunted again. He stopped, quartering away, looking right back at me. I anchored, sighted, and shot. Crack! The lighted arrow sped right into the vitals, breaking ribs. He dropped right where he stood. 
the buck was thrashing on the ground. While he wasn't the biggest buck I had shot, he was close. He had 12 points and was beautiful. In hunting, oftentimes we do what we know. We hunt the same spot over and over because one time we saw a big buck. One time we had hundreds of ducks circling this pond. One time we shot our limit of roosters out of this fence row. Time after time, we go to the same spots, doing the same things, and more often than not, getting the same results. A lack of imagination, wonder, and risk leads us to safety. Some of us get up every morning, drive to a job we hate, working to build a company that hates us, in return only to work hard so a boss that shouldn't be in charge gets to take credit. Not everyone has this experience, but many do. I have. Why? Why in this time of unprecedented opportunity are we so easily cowed? Why do we content ourselves with the safe, risk-off life? The gnawing dissatisfaction that flavors everything in life, like those nasty Christmas pine cones that pollute the entrance of supermarkets and craft stores? What are you afraid of? What do you fear? We avoid risk like a boomer's 401k in the last five years before retirement because we are terrified of failure. We have been domesticated like a golden retriever when we were created by God to have a portion of ourselves that is somewhere between reckless and dangerous. Man, we should have a portion of ourselves that for the love of God should not be killed or tamed. That part of ourselves that refuses to let ourselves be enslaved to safety. The story I told was about a deer hunt. There's exactly one person on earth that gives a damn about that deer, me. The entire point is that without risk, not only is the reward absent, but so is the man. The riskless life, the safe life, is the dead life. Train your hands for risk. Get your backside into a wild place. Push yourself. Grow in confidence. Look to the king of kings knowing that even in failure, you will inherit eternal life through faith in Christ. God made you lords of the earth to take dominion. Go and take it. Go fight, win. So the question is, how? First, mourn and repent for the time wasted on emasculating yourself, for giving up on any risk-taking at all. I've been there. I had a job where my boss continually threw me under the bus and got a promotion out of it. Everyone has to pay the bills. I get it. I'm not saying don't be responsible. I'm saying start making the changes necessary to stiffen your spine and doing the expedient and safe thing instead of the thing that could bring you honor and glory, not just for you, but for God and for your generations. Repent for fearing man and not fearing God. Second, find a church that has the basics of the faith in the right spot. That is, in the basics category and not in the there's a lot of disagreement and debate about what should be in the basics tenets category. That church should have a community of men and women that are going for it. They want to see their place and their people grow through the generations. That means your success is in their interest and their success is in your interest. You need men. You need a gang. If you are one that doesn't like risk, you definitely need other men to push you, to encourage you, 
and to do whatever it takes to help you win. If you don't have that in your region, find it. Move if necessary. Third, start hustling. That means you have to change habits. Start reading the right stories and stop watching The Office. It's funny and all, but the entire premise of the show is settling for daily hell and laughing about it. Find a side job. Start mowing lawns. Find what God has made you good at and start cultivating that. If you don't know, ask somebody. Give yourself something that you can grow into something that is worth taking a risk at doing. I know I just shot out those points like a hungover guy with a semi-auto on the opening morning of rifle deer season. So if you want to know more about these action items, send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. If you loved them, let me know. If you hate them, let Eric know. If you'd like to support the project of forging dangerous men in wild places, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can find more about the project at wilderness-warrior.com. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week.